All right, so let's start from the beginning. What exactly is Gymshark? So Gymshark is basically a clothing brand in the fitness space, right? Think of, think of them as like um, a young Nike. I, I guess that's the somewhat of the persona they tend to to embody uh, just from some of their commercials and the concepts they, they market with. But that's essentially what it is, right? And it was a brand or company that was started around eight years ago, okay, in uh, a young guy's bedroom. Some would say kid. I think he was 19. His name was Ben Francis. And he started with, I believe, it, this part's a little bit hazy in the research I've done, two co-founders, one who dropped early on, and then the second one jo- uh, dropped, I believe, like a year ago or two years ago. But I'll get to that anyways. So let's just talk about the main founder, which is Ben Francis, right? Who's also at the top of the company right now as the CMO, all right? And uh, he started the company at 19. He first began in general making websites, selling license plates, right? And then he started making apps. And two of the apps that he made were uh, fitness apps who happened to be somewhat relatively successful. They, they became... Uh, trending on the top of the fitness app store in the UK. Uh, from then, he bounced to a fitness fitness social network where he gained something like 1,000 to 2,000 members, but ended up just throwing that concept away when it slowly um, didn't gain any traction. And then it was right after that that Gymshark was made. And this is a point where I really want to stop and, and consider this, right? Because I believe that many of you here listening while you are marketers and um, obviously most likely grow the business of other people because it's our job, that there's a very high probability that a lot of you are also entrepreneurs or you're even considering opening your business if you haven't yet, your own business. And this is one of the most underrated, uh, I guess, examples to remember, which is A lot of these successful companies that you see popping up now, I can't speak so much about the past, but you see the same pattern in the past. They all came out of many, many failed ideas. It's very rare that uh, some entrepreneur had an idea, then he like, you know, thought it up, started selling, it boomed, and he made it, and that's how, you know, it all came together. Very similar, like Ben and and others, even, even myself, when I think of anything that I've done well in the business space, whether it was an ad, a campaign or whatever, it always comes after failing many, 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 many times. And for some reason, there's a misconception that uh, is maybe pushed that, uh, listen, if you're not 18 coming out with like a rock star idea, this space is not meant for you or you're not able to create a business or whatnot. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. It's cool and trendy to be 18 and make an app that sells for a billion, but that that doesn't represent the norm. It doesn't represent the most successful companies either. The thing is, it's just much more common because the barrier of entry was lowered. My name is Gio and welcome to the Science of Marketing podcast. 
where we talk about how to generate higher quality leads, make more sales online, and the latest proven strategies in online marketing from someone testing them every single day. I hope you benefit a ton from each episode and subscribe. So obviously, I'm not trying to go into a whole motivational tangent here, right? Because at the end of the day, this is a logic-based podcast when it comes to marketing advice and business advice. So what I'm saying is actually logical. The more you do something, ideally, as long as you're learning a lesson every single time or at least learning something, the better you will become at it. And thus, failing is a part of the process. So remember that when uh, the time comes to to try on your own. And if you're trying now and you're failing and you're struggling, trust me, it's part of the process. So embrace it. With that being said, we move on to the next part of his actual journey creating Gymshark. So he makes the website. He starts actually making sales, right? And uh, the actual first few sales that he made were on some affiliate supplements. So on his site, he wouldn't just carry a few Gymshark items. He had uh, supplements and other clothing brands, I believe, and just other fitness-related things that people could buy in general off of his site. And then he would have them drop shipped uh, to the customers. And this is uh, the uh, first big thing, right, for him. Around this era, it was 2012, drop shipping was still in its infancy in terms of popularity. And because of this, it not only had a massive uh, opportunity for anyone that took control or used the concept, but it was also uh, credit to, to Ben. It was also not a hugely popular thing that you could just research and learn about. And he made it happen. He started drop shipping with his store, right? So just to kind of look back at his hustle too, he would go to school. He'd then go work at pizza hut. And right after that, he'd start working on Gymshark and Gymshark-related stuff. And um, I believe that he starts making a first his, his first few sales. Money starts coming in, right? And he starts figuring out how exactly he could scale this to more people. And the thing about Ben is he was very passionate and involved in the fitness scene, so he would watch all the, the YouTubes of, of the influencers at the time and was very much in the culture of fitness. He, he was an avid fitness enthusiast himself. And I think this is a very important thing to bring up that isn't always essential. But if you are, if you do have this, it gives you a big advantage. So basically, when you're actually passionate about the niche you're selling things in or you're working on or you have your business in, because you are a fan, it it allows you to have a greater depth of insight into the community, which obviously makes things easier to sell because you understand what actually is moving uh, headlines or is what the, the public actually cares about, right? Especially if you're a user, you can recognize product, product flaws. And I believe that's what originally gave him the concept for Gymshark, he says, was he noticed there was flaws in a lot of the uh, clothing and stuff that he would wear to the gym, and he thought he could do it better. And it was around this time that 
he decided to start sending out free Gymshark apparel to some of his favorite YouTubers. And uh, this is 2012. YouTube is really not that big of a deal just yet. Um, the influencers probably had like, I think they said like something like 20 to 50,000 subscribers, which was a lot back then. And what's cool about Brent is he was not only one of the first to really work on, on drop shipping at scale, but, um, he was one of the first to take advantage of influencer marketing marketing. So he would give them the apparel. He would give the YouTubers the apparel. They would then obviously wear it in the videos. They would essentially advertise it for free. I think because the influencer industry was so new as well, that there were, there weren't as many rules and the influencers weren't as savvy with their audience and didn't realize the actual potential of their audience just yet. And so they, they'd wear a bunch of Gymshark stuff. And this is, I want to make sure that it's known. I'm not sure if he was actually paid them just yet at the beginning, or if he just gave it to them and they would wear it and that helped them out. But, um, I'm assuming that was part of it. He might've already created a contract with them early on, but I highly doubt it considering the era and his age and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so he he gives them to the YouTubers. They start wearing it. It obviously starts obviously starts gaining even more traction because of this, right? And some of these early influencers being Matt Ogus, um, I think Lex Fitness, and uh, I, I I forgot the name David something. So if you if you're big into the fitness scene, I was once very big in it. Uh, you'll recognize some of these names, especially Matt Ogus, but. Uh, I digress. It starts getting even more sales there. And then here's here's the thing that, that really kind of shifted or made the big shift for him. So he went to Body Expo, right? And it was basically these, this one of the largest, if not the largest expo in the UK for fitness. And you would see a bunch of supplement brands and a bunch of apparel brands. And they would all hang out there to basically pitch and sell their stuff and grow their brand. Uh, while fitness enthusiasts kind of walked around, there was different comp competitions and a bunch of other stuff going on. And uh, essentially, he noticed the opportunity that was there. He felt it was quite boring that he could kind of shake something up in there. So he went and he reserved a uh, booth for the next year with the little money he had left, right? And these were pretty expensive at the time. I think it was like something like ten to 15000 to reserve a booth. So... He went ahead, reserved the booth, 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 booth. Can't say booth. Awesome. He went. He went ahead and reserved it, and obviously worked very hard the next year, scaling somewhat relatively slowly, but still scaling. And then that next year rolls around. They come to the booth. I believe they got a bunch of the influencers at the time to fly out and meet them there, and it created a massive commotion and. And Gymshark received an enormous amount of attention. And this was kind of the big turning point for him, where they kind of um, came out from underneath of like everyone else and they started separating themselves as like a real brand in the fitness space, at least. And um, he mentions how they basically 
did the expo, had turned off the store to update some things and whatnot. And by the time the expo was done and they had turned on the store the next day with the new inventory and whatever the other things they might have updated, that they had sold out everything or they had made more sales in 30 minutes than they had made ever in, in the span of Gymshark. And I think this was one of the, um, not just a turning point for them, but a turning point for what was possible in the industry with influencers. And before I move on to the scaling part, I think it's it's very important that, it, that it's not undervalued even now, that influencers are a huge tool that many of them still don't understand the power of their audience and you should use them as well if you can. And um, I could go into a whole other episode about this, but um, I'll tell you right now, the most successful campaigns are using many micro influencers, somewhere between 50,000 to 120, 150,000 followers that are very, very connected to their niche, uh, have great impact with their partner. I mean, their partners with their fans. And um, you really, really shouldn't undervalue them as you can make a ton of sales in a short period, get a ton of exposure, and they can help you a lot. And um, I do believe one of the pivotal moves that he did with Gymshark, alongside all these incredibly smart things that he did, was the influencers. It was, they, I think they continued to spread in the influencer market and like dominated it to a certain extent. Uh, and and that's and, and on top of that created a great re, um, relationship with their influencers and made sure to always hold those that they felt matched the brand equally as well so it's not just about getting the influencers and working with them right it's about creating a great relationship with them so keep that in mind right because you don't know how far the fruits of their labor could actually hold right how much it could actually be worth and it's just good ethical business, like hold a good relationship with anyone you do business with. Anyways, moving on. Very, very undervalued, but probably the biggest thing that they kind of did right, in my opinion, um, that you should take into account, right? Uh, yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to say moving on again. Moving on. After this, the, the company just starts scaling like crazy. He's, he's obviously doing all the right things in terms of distribution and taking this into account with having someone in the business that's also passionate in the space he knew as well what designs were gonna kind of work it, you you could if you're passionate about the nation and this is the thing about being into something that you care about you get that direct insight and he was able to make clothing that people in the space really really liked i mean that's how i personally got introduced to gymshark i couldn't believe how cool some of their stuff was and i like cool like i'm gonna look cool i mean that it not only looked good but it had a lot of little things that i noticed some other brands didn't and you could see that was a big part of him i believe his tracksuit was the big apparel that kind of launched everything for them too with that expo um they had some tracksuit that became very very famous so um that's that's the big the big boom youtube era starts exploding this is right when they have all those influencers things are just exploding way faster for them and um it turns into obviously a big corporation at this point and here's the hard part right 
he takes on two partners to help him, two experienced partners, uh, much older in the space, to actually come in and um, help scale the company into the larger, broader sense of things, right? And to compete against people like Nike and whatnot. And this is not always easy for a lot of 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 business owners, right? You don't understand the value of specializing in one thing. And he even said himself, there's an extreme amount of value in focusing on the thing you're good at and letting others take control of what they should be good at. So he agrees to um, basically bring them into the company for a small percentage, I believe it was something like seven or 6% each and um, takes on those two partners. They end up helping extremely well as one of them becomes the CEO. The other one, I believe, works in operations. And Ben just focuses on the marketing and the C- the whole marketing side of the company, essentially. And one of the main reasons probably why Jim Shark got to where it got was because um, he really had an, an understanding of the product and the marketing and whatnot. So he goes that route. The company stays getting even larger at this point, stays getting larger, scales even faster at this point still does extremely extremely well and um it's at this point i believe his partner so there was actual partner in in jim shark and um i believe there's even two one dropped off early and there was a second one named lewis who at some point felt like he didn't want to work inside the company something along those lines stopped working with them but still retained about 20 percent ownership who then at this point decides, you know, they're looking to scale even further and possibly bring on another company as an investor. And it's at this point that Lewis decides to sell his 20% for a cool hundred million pounds. So imagine that one. His partner sells his 20% for cool hundred million pounds. It's around this time that, um, I believe he owns something like 69, 68%. I'm talking about Ben. So, um, yeah, craziness. They then um, receive and, and pick a company to work with, to work with, to receive an investment. And that helps uh, evaluate the brand at over $1.4 billion. And just insanity. And um, it's important that I note this last Thing that I believe Ben has noticed and is part of the reason why he's so vocal is that he's created a YouTube and he's posting quite frequently now and on Instagram as well. And I think he noticed something that's very important um, to recognize now as everything moves on to online marketing to a certain extent. People buy from people. The easiest, right? I'm, heard, I'm sure you heard that before, but Yes, of course, companies sell things and there's universal brands that we all know and love. But at the end of the day, uh, people prefer to buy from other people. And I think what Ben is doing now with his YouTube and stuff is he's adding a much larger level of transparency. And he's giving a face to that Gymshark brand. And this is giving him an advantage that people like Nike or Puma or Adidas can't have or can't do, right? Which is really put a face to the company they've never done in. Who would they do anyways? I think the original founders are not even around. Um, 
But I think that's a long-term play by Ben that's really, really smart and something you should consider for yourself in the future if you really want to scale things faster and have higher quality leads, make easier sales. Place a face on your brand, a person, okay, that represents the brand. And uh, you will notice it's a lot. It makes things a lot, lot easier because the internet in itself creates a sense of, um, uh, I don't know how to call it, anonymous, anonymity. I can't even say the word right. But the point is it makes people not trust a lot of things. And if you can attach a face to it, this breaks the barrier and it makes selling a whole lot easier. Anyways, this is me taking apart Gymshark in the whole process of getting them from drop shipping to a uh, hundred. I'm sorry, a hundred. I was thinking of, of Lewis and what he sold at, at a valuation of 1.45 billion. So imagine that this came from a guy that was 19 who started drop shipping from his room eight years ago. And <clears throat> again, I should stress how big of an opportunity we have as marketers. And even if you don't consider yourself a marketer, if you listen to your to this podcast enough, I would consider you one because you're going to know a lot more than any marketer coming out with a degree, most likely. Trust me, I have one and I know others. <laughs> and um, yeah, for anyone in business, especially if you're a marketer, we we are the rainmakers. We are what sells things. The first part of a working business, right? Of a business being a business is producing a profit and selling something. So if you are the rainmaker, right? As Russell calls it, um, you have a lot of power, the better you get at your skill. And, and just understand the opportunity we have in front of us to create businesses or create our own wealth, the better we get at this. So don't be afraid to obsess over advertising over everything about it because I, I, I don't I think we're in some kind of weird modern day modern day like um, gold rush. but the gold is is, is located in the internet and um, I guess you could say it's maybe the ability to sell directly to customers. And if you can find a product that really solves a problem and then you understand how to sell it correctly and sell the, its ability to solve the problem, um, and what those benefits would bring, then the, the possibility to make money extremely fast and scale and scale extremely fast at this level, like Ben, it's very, very possible. And as crazy as it sounds, it's much more possible than it's ever been in history, I do believe. So just my two cents. Um, I hope you learned a lot from this episode. I hope you take advantage of influencers before they become way too overpriced, specifically micro-influencers. Take advantage of understanding the trends, the fitness, the fitness, the industry you're in. Um, and if you're passionate about something, think about how you could maybe monetize it and then use all the stuff in this podcast I talk about to do it. So thank you so much for listening. Have a good week.
Thank you for listening to that last episode. If you feel like you got a ton of value from it and want to help me out, I would really, really appreciate it if you could go ahead and leave a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. It's really the best way for me to grow this podcast and just the easiest way for me to tell that this is generally helping people. Thank you so much and uh, I hope you have a great day.